Hello, it's Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and you are listening to Table Scraps. Today I'm joined on the phone by Pastor Warren Graff. He's pastor, uh, my pastor, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's been there for six years, and he is joining us to talk about evolutionism and its ideology and and what it means for the state and the church and our families. Uh, pastor Graff, welcome to Table Scraps. Thank you, Brian. I have a little uh, conclusion to this is Charles Darwin's Origin of Species, and he ends it uh, talking like this. He says, Thus, from the war of nature, from famine and death, the most exalted object which we are capable of conceiving, conceiving, namely the production of higher animals, directly follows. There is a grandeur in this view of life, which its several powers. Uh, so Charles Darwin ends his uh, his um, great discussion of the origin of species talking about the war of nature and the progress of things towards a higher view or, or higher animals. This is then uh, the ideology of evolutionism coming forth as it gives us uh, death and its progression. So that, that'll be kind of the serve as the basis of our discussion. And I think, Pastor Graff, for you, the first question I have is uh, let's just start here and say what is an ideology anyhow? Well, I, th- that is, I think, the important question on, in looking at evolutionism, uh, because, of course, evolutionism is usually put out as being science, as if it's a bare, clean um, pursuit of science, as, as someone, for instance, gazing out into the stars and, and trying to figure out their, their tracking through the sky or, or doing things that are reproducible and verifiable and uh, in, in everything. But the, with evolutionism, in the quote you have, you, you have... Darwin's words about this struggle, and, and that that is key to understanding an ideology. Uh, the word ideology, I, I mean, it came out of the uh, French Revolution, but then Karl Marx picked it up and and used it, took took it into his use. And, and what the word ideology means is it, is it refers to uh, an overarching uh, system, an overarching uh, system of thought that has certain characteristics, and they've been described as being that, that this ideology, if you and I are adhering to an ideology or grabbing onto it, we're finding our hope in it, and, and we're attaching ourselves to it, the ideology for us is is something that we find to be redemptive. Uh, it, it's the way not just to be uh, sanitive of, of cleansing ourselves of things around us, but actually uh, re- redemptive and taking us to a, a higher plane, a higher order, a, a progression of things. Um, it's comprehensive, so that the ideology controls everything um, under it and around it. And in that way, an ideology is anti-scientific, although ideologies, because it's there in the word with, with the um, theology part, ideologies claim to be scientific. And, and if you read Karl Marx, uh, he writes as if he's an economist who is very scientific. It's, it's only when someone reads him, um, with a with a little discernment that they see that he is very ideological he is not a an economist at all but he's a political economist he's more about the business of using economics in the pursuit of of garnering power of garnering political um leverage and so forth so within ideology it's it's redemptive it is comprehensive it controls everything under it and in that way if you and I are adhering to an ideology, that ideology is controlling the way we look at everything, the way we react to things around us. And then, very importantly, an ideology is uh, something that brings liberation. So it speaks in terms of 
classes against classes, uh, the oppressed against the oppressor, or, or things such as such as this. And you saw that there in what in that quote that you read from Darwin. But even with evolutionism, then what evolutionism is doing is it is looking around at our world. It, it's you and me looking around at our world, and we're seeing things that are wrong with uh, our world, with with um, what you and I would call creation, but evolutionism would not allow that terminology, of course. Uh, seeing things that are that are wrong, that have gone wrong, and it gives us a way to liberate ourselves from it. And in evolutionism, the way then is that in this struggle of the classes, and in evolutionism, the, the classes are, if nothing else, it's the weak versus the strong, so that the strong have an obligation, a duty, an expectation under the evolutionism ideology to kill the weak. And in killing the weak, you are improving the species so that for humanity to go to a higher, more developed, uh, more progressed level, it is necessary for the weak to be killed. And that's what we see then as, that's where we can start seeing that evolutionism has its has its counterparts with other ideologies uh, that that try to show how, like in socialism, you're supposed to to be grouped up. It's a fascism. You're supposed to be bound up together with others of your type, and you will now be in a class struggle to overcome the classes or the class that you think is oppressing you. Evolutionism is that brought into this this natural realm, and it is showing us how humanity is going to progress. But in that way, evolutionism, because it's an ideology, is highly anti-scientific. Because if you bring a scientific question, if you bring critical thinking against evolutionism, you will not be met with the welcome curiosity of a scientist who actually wants to examine uh, examine what is is uh, is being observed or or is being posited. But you're met with the brick wall of an ideologist who will not let any anything bring any question to this overarching structure that is giving order to his to his whole thought process. When you question someone's ideology, then what you're doing is you're taking away their redemption and their comprehensive understanding of the world and even their freedom then, uh, if it provides all of those things for a person. Yes, and that, that is right. Um, but, but in that, we can see then that what an ideology has done is it has, and this is the danger of an ideology, is it has taken the person up into the ideology so that now your worth, your identity, is no longer found at the point of your name, of your person, of who you are, but it is instead found at the point of who you are in this whole, in this mass, in this, um, in this class, or um, in, in this ideological process. Now, apart from that, and why we would want to resist an ideology is as as we're given it to see in creation, our Lord knows us not according to a class that we are, not according to even, for that matter, a species, but he knows us according to our name, our personhood, so that the Creator God knows a Brian or a Warren or whoever else 
uh, Susie, John, and, and everyone else. He knows them according to their personhood, their their particularity, the gifts he has given, the weaknesses even that he has given them. And that is all brought to fore in this word name in Scripture, so that when the Lord knows your name, he knows you according to who you are that is unlike and unique over against me. So that instead of classing you and me together with all the things that make us the same with each other, that would be an ideological exercise. But instead of that, this Lord knows us according according to our name, our particularity. And that's the wonderful gift he gives to us then. We don't know him as God. He is God. But we don't know him as God, and we don't pray to him as God. We pray to him according to his personhood, which is his name, which is why he comes and reveals his name to the sinner. He makes himself vulnerable to the sinner in his name, so that there, in that particularity of his name, he is there approaching us in our persons and in, in giving us his gifts. And ideology takes all that away from us, because now we're known according to our 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 generality, our inclusion into the group, into the um, into the mass. And one other one other thing with that, when we're looking at the the giving of our Lord's name, where His name is already revealed, of course, in Genesis two. Um, when we see how, for instance, Darwin in his ideology of evolutionism defines um, uh, d- defines that the, the this this creation, what you and I would call creation, but this defines our material existence in the world and that we know and everything. He defines it as a struggle. You go back to Scripture, and it is a completely different picture our Lord gives us. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and it was without form, and it was void. And sometimes that formlessness and that void is brought across as being chaos. But the Hebrew words are not chaos. The Hebrew words are that it, it didn't have form, and it was void. There was an emptiness. It hadn't been yet created, filled full. So in, in Genesis, it is this formlessness and this void, but that is not chaos, because chaos is the existence of something. It's the existence of a struggle, of, of an evil, of a of a ongoing warfare, a, a struggle for uh, dominance or whatever. But in the Lord's way, it was formless and, and void. No chaos, no nothing. And then he filled that full with all of his gifts of life. Those adhering to the ideology of evolutionism need to posit this, that the creation or, or that, that new life comes from not a God of peace and life who's bringing forth life in his creation, but it comes from the bringing of violence and death. This is uh, you, and you've answered my question that I was going to come to next. Is is how Christianity isn't an ideology? I mean, you look and do we have redemptive? Uh, well, yeah, the redemption of Christ. Is it comprehensive? I, I think so. It covers uh, from creation to the eschaton and even the new heaven and the new earth. And does it give liberation? It does. Uh, Jesus comes to set us free. So it has those marks of of an ideology, but it's uh, but it's not one. Right. It, and, and I think the the way to see that is that it's not one because it is a it is not uh, Christianity is not an idea that can then be taken up into an ideology to control people, but rather Christianity is a person. 
Jesus Christ, Son of God, who with the Father created all things, and who even now, by the word of his power, by the, the word out of his mouth, is upholding creation and bringing forth all new life. An ideology, though, comes at us in a way not of giving gifts, but of controlling. So that if I adhere to an ideology, if, if I am adhering to evolutionism or whatever other ideology, and you come and you try to speak to me and bring a critical question to that, I will refuse you the right to bring the critical question. Because an ideology in that way is not refutable. And that's why we, we must make the point that an ideology, whether evolutionism or, or some other, an ideology at first can seem, it, it can posit itself as being scientific because ideologies are purely materialistic. And, and, and what I mean by the materialism is, of course, not the materialism of, of the young girl that's trying to buy a bunch of makeup or the, the young boy that's trying to buy the newest bicycle, but rather the materialism that is saying that it is what we know by our senses, by our perception of this material world that we can be sure of. And it is then a refusal to see behind that or a giving forth of this material world from uh, what what we would want to speak of as this creator God. But materialism is even saying it will not address any transcendence behind that at all. Now, can you have an ideology that does acknowledge uh, transcendent reality, for example, um, Islam? Well, I, I, yeah, I think that that would be, in, in a way, I think that that would be worth bringing that question to Islam. Is Islam a, a teaching of a God who is a person? Or is Islam a teaching, a doctrine of ideology? Oh, if God is an idea, then then what you right. have is an ideology. Uh, right, it, and in that way, I think we would have to say that Islam, as we <clears throat> certainly as we see it being unfolded before us now, is an ideology, because there there is not a there is not a God there who is a person who is reacting to me as a person and who is giving me gifts. It's rather that God has now been given as this this ideology that is controlling of all things. And in the same way, then, that, that socialism, as it was brought forth by Marx, um, as communism, as, as, for instance, Lenin would speak of it, they, they would have this view that this is the way that the whole world must be going and is going. Well, isn't that the way that Islam... Islam doesn't talk about coming to a sinner, to a person, and bringing this gift from the Lord that washes away his sins. Islam talks about which parts of the globe belong to Allah and which parts do not. And, and then their task is, like, uh, like socialism or communism or whatever, their task then is to force the rest of the globe under this ideology too. I'm still working with this idea that the gods become uh, an unnamed god, a god who is an idea, then gives you an ideology, and I want to then push it back, for example, to uh, the Old Testament, where the gods, the false gods, seem to have names and territories and people, like like Baal or Molech or um, uh, Ashtoreth or, or, or right. these false gods. Well, yes, and I think it, I think that that is beneficial to press it back into, um, if if we can just use one of them into Baalism, since that was the chief one that we see. Uh, listed by name in, in Scripture, uh, where the gods do have names, they are given as persons, but they're not given as persons who are approachable. 
Now, I used a word earlier that, that the reason that evolutionism is not science but is an ideology is because science is always refutable, and it always wants to be refutable. That's not to say it always wants to be refuted, but it's always refutable. So, so that you know, if you're a scientist and you're you're well recognized on the staff of some university, et cetera, and you're trying to convince me that there's such a thing as gravity, well, if you're an ideologist, then you will tell me there is a gravity, and if I don't believe it, then I then I am ruled out of order, and, and my conversation will not be listened to. Um, so that, that there is this pull of this fascism to bind me in with the the the, ide- the ideological um, acceptable way of speaking of things. But if you're a scientist and you and you uh, are teaching me about gravity, and I'm saying I don't really believe there is gravity, then as a scientist you're not offended and you're not resistant to that. Rather, your next question would be, okay, then. Let's go and look at what I have said about gravity and run these experiments, look at, make our observations, make it so that these experiments are refutable if, after all, what I'm saying about gravity is not true. And then when I come to these experiments and I'm trying to prove gravity wrong, as a scientist, you wouldn't resist that because you would have this confidence that the science of it will stand, that that as I bring my questions, my critical thinking to what you have taught about gravity, that the data, that the, the repeated experiments, the repeated observations, the phenomena that is there, that that will let me see that though I tried to refute gravity, at the end of the day, I'm looking at it and I say, well, you know, you're right. There is this thing of gravity, and, it, and we are able to say certain positive statements about it. So as a scientist, you don't, you don't approach me with an ideological face of saying that this is true and you will listen to nothing else. You approach me with a very refutable face of saying that, that as scientists we all participate in this conversation that brings these critical questions. Well, now take that to, it, it may seem like a big step, but take that to Baalism and the Old Testament and everything. Baalism, where, where the god Baal is the god of thunder and rain, and Baal has his female counterpart, and because of what Baal and uh, the, the the female goddesses and Asherah and, and all these, what they're doing up there in some spirit world, because of that, that is not actually happening in the material world, but is happening in the spirit world, it finds its expression, it finds its impact or its imprint on the material world in the phenomena that you and I can see. So that when it rains, we say, well, that's Baal bringing us rain. When there's a drought or whatever, we, we, when someone dies in a ship, we say, oh, that's the god Moth, the god, the god death that, that killed him or something like So that, that we're responding to these phenomena and we're reading them back into the spiritual realm. But... But here is the point of all of that. It's not refutable Hmm. because the God never showed up to me in a way that the God was in weakness. As a matter of fact, the God couldn't show up to me because, as the prophet Jeremiah says, 
you know, you, you made these gods up yourselves. In other words, they're ideological from their very foundation. They were your ideas, and you're using them to control each other. So, so in that way, Baalism is, a, is the purest form of ideology you can find. On the other hand, the prophet, Jeremiah, for instance, or, or whichever prophet, is proclaiming this God who comes by the name Yahweh, and he is very, if I can use that word from, over from science then, he is very refutable, he's very resistible. So that when the Lord comes and says, I'm the one who saved you from the Egyptians, I'm the one who built David up on his throne, etc., I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he says, now come to my temple so that you can receive the blessing and the benefits of my sacrifice and your sins will be washed away. I don't have to come to his temple. I can walk away. Now, in walking away, I'm refusing the gifts of his name. I'm refusing his grace. But the point is, he didn't come to control me. He didn't come to to put an overarching control so that if I don't bow down to him at his temple, then then um, th- then I'm I'm cast away and I never get to hear his voice again. He keeps coming as a person with a name, speaking to me, inviting me, gathering me back, not controlling me as an ideology, but rather giving gifts to me as a person who loves me. That's incredible. So that it's really, uh, I mean, simply the matter of, of weakness versus strength. Um, yes, that... and, and ideologies will refuse to be put forth in weakness. And that's where, uh, if you talk to someone who is... Um, who's been swallowed up in the ideology of evolutionism, see how willing they are to let their evolutionism be made refutable. And that's why I I used the example earlier of, say, a professor who's trying to teach gravity, where it doesn't bother him if someone brings questions about gravity, because he's not trying to control them with forcing them to understand the order of things the same way he does. He is rather doing good science. He, he has uh, an intellectual curiosity. He brings critical questions. And when someone disagrees with him, if anything, he would welcome that because that's another opportunity to bring critical questions and learn more about maybe he would think of it as our t- scientific world, but, but about this world of creation that you and I have been put here, been put into this world in such a way that we're called upon to be critical thinkers. To, to be uh, to, to be curious. Well, when the Lord said to to you and me to that 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 all these trees and these animals are ours, and then He says and have dominion over them. That dominion is is that you and I are the Lord's image here on earth, and in this and in this dominion, how can we not be curious? How can we not want to look at these things the Lord has put here and ask questions that bring forth wonderful recognitions and truth? The same way that if I have a child, am I not curious about the child? I I, I delight in seeing what makes him laugh or what makes him um, more curious about other things, what what makes him uh, be able to converse better. There's a curiosity of a parent over a child that brings forth life from the child. Well, there's a curiosity that the Lord has given us. We, we can call it now science. That's a more modern term. But there's a curiosity the Lord has given us to look at the phenomena all around us, rejoice in it, and and find out as much about it as we can as, as to better serve each other with it.
So, so you have the way the Lord gives his gifts, and, and there you have curiosity and you have freedom, and there's a kind of fearlessness. Look, if I'm wrong, I want to know it. Uh, yeah. And if I'm right, then we can all rejoice in it together. There's this this wonderful sort of freedom. On the other hand, with an ideology, you have you have slavery and you have fear, and you always have kind of a grasping for power because if you lose – if you lose the idea, if you lose the ideology, then you've uh, you've lost all of your power, your coerciveness, your ability to keep things in <clears throat> in control, and all of this. Yes, and and that's what's at stake. So, in a way, it's not that that we just need to go and prove a particular ideology wrong. Um, you know, for instance, let's let's go and prove the ideology of socialism wrong. Well, that may be worthwhile on that level of of where that conversation is taking place. But really, we need to have a recognition that this is not the way we converse with each other anyway. We don't, we don't use ideologies against each other. We don't use ideologies to control ourselves. We rather look to a creator God who brings forth life from a voice of peace and, and not from people being set against each other. And let's now see who is the ascendant class or, or whatever. Now, Pastor, you and I have had conversations about how sometimes our tendency is to take the Ten Commandments and turn them into an ideology, and and that's not the way that they're given. They're given to give exactly the – it's the voice of God giving his gifts of peace and life. Yes, and that's where – Luther is very good on this, where he gives this ordering of the Ten Commandments. That is, that's very – it's very easily noticeable about the Ten Commandments, but, you know, just the ordering that first – the first table is is the Lord. He's our He's our Creator. But even more than that, as, as we have um, when He's giving the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you, who makes you holy, who cleanses you. So the the Ten Commandments start out with this wonderful gift and promise that uh, there is a redemption for me, and it is done not by me finding an overarching set of um, a, a comprehensive idea that controls me into finally being okay, but rather it is a voice from a person who is God himself who says, I sanctify you. And then from that, he then gives me my parents. So the first thing the Lord gives in the ordering of creation, as we're looking at the commandments, is father and mother, mom and dad, family. Then from that flows all the rest. From from this recognition of who mother and father are to bring forth life, to extol life, to to bring children up in the gifts of the Lord. From that then comes the gift of neighbor, the gift of um, the, the gift of what we could say nation and country and so forth. But in that way then the the, the government is not over people so much as the government is servant to the people. Everything is to serve the family. Honor your father and your mother. To serve the family, then, the Lord comes along and says, don't steal from your neighbor, don't covet. And then from that, there are structures that we, uh, on our own, set up, structures of government. And yet the Lord says that these are all put in place by him. He's put them in place by the agency of us, of, of mother and father and, and families. But in that way, as, as you and I go out into our world, as we leave our family, then later to return there at night and go to bed with our mom and dad or whatever, as, as we go out during the day and we see, for instance, school teachers, 
we can say this is good. Those school teachers are there not to serve on their own. They have no authority of their own, but they're to serve in the office of father and mother. They're teaching the child math on behalf of the parents. We see a police officer on the road. He's there not on his own authority, but because after all, that's why he wears a uniform. He's there by the authority of the government, but the government is there not to have a strong government, but to serve the family, to have police officers in place, to make sure the family is rescued from violence and and that those who do evil are brought to justice, Uh, to have uh, whatever roads in place, let's say, to help people do their commerce and everything. But in this ordering of things, we get to see not an overarching controlling way that we're to act each other, but rather a flowing forth from from this Lord of these gifts. Here's your mother and your father, your family. Here's your neighbor. I honor you by setting you there to serve your neighbor. And and this ordering then of that later you and I would call governments or or whatever. This is a radically different understanding of of everything in our lives um, than you normally see. And that's what's so wonderful about this is that uh, apart from the ideologies that kind of rotate around, which are – they seem that they all have something in common. We'll get to that in a little bit. But that the Lord just simply wants to give us his gifts. And, and, and everywhere we turn, we turn from one gift to another. Uh, and he's always there with his uh, with his gifts. And, and he just wants us to – really he puts us in a receptive posture uh, even, even when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Yes. And, and of course in the Ten Commandments – become the killing law to me in the way then that in my sinful flesh I walk away from them or I resist them. So so in other words, if the Lord gives me my mother and father as these gifts to me, to take care of me, to bring me up in his word, as I in my sinful flesh am rebellious against my mom and dad, the commandment comes and hits me with the hammer of the law and says, no, honor your father and your mother. You're guilty of breaking this commandment. And the same thing to the mother and the father. The commandment sets them there as the bringer of the Lord's gifts to the children that the Lord has bestowed upon them. Well, as the father sees maybe that he has that he has not been giving gifts to his child, but he instead has been trying to brutalize his child and and, and um, make his child uh, fall under his his power or whatever, then the father. That commandment that in one case sets the father as a giver of gifts to his child, that same commandment now becomes this hammer of law to crush him, of you have not protected this child. You have instead tried to control this child and and, uh, given this child reason to be angry. And so now the commandment is convicting of the father. But in all of that, then, the commandments, this law, they are in, in, in... shining this light on us that that brings forth our guilt, they are then driving us to this voice of the Lord that says, I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you, who makes you holy, who forgives you. And and in that way, that word of the Lord is cleansing the father, the mother, the child, cleansing the family, and again binding them together. In a way, our, our sinful flesh is an ideologue, and the law comes to kill all these ideologies and bring us back to the Lord's gifts. This is Pastor Brian Wolfman. You're, you're listening to Table Scraps, and Pastor Warren Graff and I are talking about 
uh, the ideology of evolution. We've been spending a bunch of time with ideologies in the Ten Commandments, perhaps just for a few minutes, bring it back to uh, the ideology of evolutionism and see where we see it today. Uh, let me start with this question, Pastor. Do you think in your reading of Charles Darwin that he was purposely bringing forth an ideology, or was did he see himself as a scientist? Hmm. Well, that, that's an interesting... I, I guess it would... There would certainly be a reading that he saw himself, at least as as he goes about his business on on the islands, looking at these different species, uh, as a scientist gathering gathering data, which is which is good. And, and of course, that's exactly what science should be doing. So that the the scientist going down uh, to, to some islands or digging up bones up in um, what is it, North Dakota, I guess. This is something that is that is uh, good. We're to were to relish this. This is scientific inquiry going forth. Um, but then to the extent that he uses that science, that he uses that data that he has collected, his observations about the phenomena, to the extent that he uses that to make a, a statement that that is ideological, and that's where, that's, that's where we'd find the statement that you read um, about this this uh, warfare, this conflict of, of um, that, that brings forth the, the new orders of life and everything, to the extent that he goes and tries to make a statement that is itself irrefutable, uh, untestable, is where he would be slipping from doing good science over into doing uh, an ideological exercise that is resistant to science. Now, you mentioned that evolutionism and socialism, fascism, the French Revolution, uh, Marx and his uh, communism, uh, that these all have this the same idea, the basic idea of struggle. Uh, and, and the different ideologies are just having different struggles. You, you have class struggles. You have um, uh, race struggles. That's really kind of what's going on with Darwin um, and, and all of mm-hmm. these. But the basis of it is struggles. It, do you think that, that these different modern ideologies are growing out of evolutionism? Or do you think that evolutionism uh, is just another manifestation of the same sort of thing? Or uh, put that together for us. Well, I, I, I think the, the way I would read it, because I think you could actually – Make make uh, an epistemological uh, assertion, maybe that the, the problem with ideology, you know, isn't found, say, at the point of evolutionism or socialism or communism or whatever, but rather is found at the point of well, what we as Lutherans would would start talking about a law gospel distinction, or whether we're looking um, we're, we're looking at the way that gifts are being brought forth by the Lord, or whether we're looking at the way that all this creation around us is is to be seen um, under a rubric of control or whatever. So I guess for the epistemology of it, I, I think you could say that things like socialism and communism do, in the historical data, do flow out of um, some precedent uh, ideas with with evolutionism. So there's a way that evolutionism maybe is is prior in in the recent history we would be reading, but I think it's important to say that it was already there before evolutionism, and I think you and I would want to say it's been there ever since we wanted, as sinful children of Adam and Eve, ever since we wanted to know things as an order of law rather than know things as an order of gifts from our Lord. 
so that ideologically, um, to, to look at something ideologically, I think it is right to say we really can see a continuity of that that stretches back to Baalism and stretches back even then um, to Adam and Eve as they're now in their sinful flesh. This is what sinful flesh, after all, wants to do. It wants to live under the law. The law is written in our hearts. And to the extent it wants to live under the law, ideology is going to be attractive. It's going to be something that uh, that is that draws us into it because it is a structure of law that is that is overarching, that is comprehensive, and lets us give an ordering to things that seems to us to be re- redemptive and and uh, and and giving us liberation. So. I- so it com- and I think this is a marvelous pastor that it comes back like it always does to the distinction of law and gospel, uh, and uh, and it's in the gospel in the in the giving of the forgiveness of sins which comes from the name of Jesus uh, that we're set free from the ideologies of our flesh this kind of clinging for power in fact Adam and Eve are doing the same sort of thing when they're grasping for this godlikeness in the garden they're 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 grasping for this uh, for this power that's not giving to them and it's but it's only in the gospel and the death of Jesus that we're set that we're set free from that say say a couple of words about um about the ideologies of evolutionism and and where we see it for example um oh i don't know in in the government in the way that the government is uh, can you connect it to the stimulus package that we see now <laughs> well let me yeah let, maybe maybe this is more flesh on it than than you would want put but but if you look at if i can go back to genesis where you and i uh in, in all of our all, all of our lineage, we are created in the image of God, and and so there is this there is this teaching there that as man and woman go about, they're they're bearing the name of the name of the Lord to the rest of creation. They they have um, dominion over the rest of creation. It is from the man and woman that the rest of creation is to find the imprint of God. It, it's it's so as they look to Adam and Eve and to Adam and Eve's children. This is God, God giving gifts to the rest of creation too. Let let me um, bring in here just a quick thought of how Lenin gave it. Now, Lenin, of course, being the the Soviet, the, the communist dictator, and all of that, he thought of the proletariat. That's the common man. He thought of the proletariat as being a blank slate, a tabula rasa. Now that that's against everything of creation where we're created in the image of God. There's no blank slatedness to that. But Lenin thinks of the proletariat as being a blank slate, and this blank slate then, under this ideology, needs to be filled full by the um, the academic class, the intelligentsia, so that the, the task of the, of the, um, the wise socialist leader is now to to help the the uh, proletariat out by making them good little ideological communists by filling full this blank slate. Well, I bring that in because that shows us maybe what's going on even in our worldview now, where there's one way of looking at it, that men and women, we are created in the image of God. Now, of course, that's an image we lost at at our sin. And yet, the image of God is now given to be the Son of God, Jesus in the flesh. And so that as we bring our children up in 
this word of Jesus, up in this gospel, they are there in their life of faith being recreated, rebuilt as the image of God. On the other hand, on the other side of that, under an ideology, the, the children are seen as this blank slate that needs to be indoctrinated by the teachers, by, by the intelligentsia, so that they're brought into this fascism of the ideology. That is, that is a point that we can see in our culture today, where we can just ask the question of who has the authority of teaching the children. Do the parents, so that that's the first commandment applying to the second table, do the parents honor your father and your mother, do they have the authority to teach their children of the Lord's gifts and of this creator God that brings forth this word of peace and life, or does the government, uh, d does, a, does a regime have this authority to bring the children up in an ideology, even over against their parents? So you can take children who have parents who want to teach them of a word of peace and life from the Lord's voice that brings forth uh, procreation, and yet that is being not just resisted, but actually um, pushed back and knocked down by the ideologues who say, no, we must teach the children ideologies, whether of socialism or evolutionism or whatever. So there really is, there really is something at stake for us as Christians in our world of just asking a very simple, basic, a, 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 um, a profound question of saying, to whom are these children given? Evolutionism would, of course, contend that they're given to no one. They just came forth in this violent process. But as, as people who belong to Jesus, we can say, these children were given to this mother and this father. And that brings, a, that brings along a whole life of receiving gifts, as opposed to a whole life of being brought up in an ideology of learning who you're in struggle against. Fantastic. Of course, the danger uh, is with an ideology is that it tempts us to fight back with an equally uh, strong and violent ideology. But that's, uh, I think, how we do that. How, how we uh, how we uh, resist an ideology without entering into the struggle of the ideology is perhaps something that we can save for a future conversation. I think we've reached the end of our time here. And uh, and Pastor Graf, thank you so much for uh, for bringing this to us. Well, Brian, thank you. It was it was uh, nice spending time with you. Thank you. This has been uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with ta uh, Pastor Warren Graft on Table Scraps, talking about uh, ideologies and uh, and evolutionism. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Please check our forum on the www.tabletalkradio.org website. Uh, you can ask questions, post comments there. We're looking forward for the to the continued conversation. The Lord's blessings.